our future leaders, responsible citizens, future derelicts. No, 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 no. Well, good for you for braving the storm and coming out right through the storm. He is Lord of all. Nice of Greg to weave that song right in there. Brave of you to do it. Good job. Rain is a good thing. So this morning we're going to continue on this theme that we started a couple weeks ago with these single chapter books. One degree difference. Just a small contribution. And sometimes it's easier to talk about topics and maybe it's easier to get your hand around a topic. But the Bible in its entirety is also there for our benefit, for our edification, for our learning, for our growth. And so it's good to go through at times things that we would not normally go through. And I'll confess I've never studied Second John that we're going to talk about today. And I've certainly never preached on it. But it's interesting to be challenged to get into something that I've read plenty of times, but never really studied it. And as I got into it, it was really fascinating uh, just some of the things that God can put in there when you stay with something long enough. And so as somebody who understands for myself the discipline of reading the Bible, today was just sort of a, an emphasis of, of studying the Bible and getting into things that might be more, not obscure, but maybe less, um, less obvious. Maybe that's a word to put. So that's actually a, a short letter. Man, it could even be a postcard. It's that, it's that short. It could even been on, sort of written on one single sheet of papyrus back in the, in the day. But it's solid with some really good content. And that basically is truth and love. Truth and love. And sometimes we may be tempted to focus more on one or the other, uh, speaking the truth regardless of how loving it is, or speaking only loving words regardless of whether they contain truth or not. And certainly the word truth is under attack in today's intellectual world. I remember in, in grad school having a fairly protracted argument about whether or not there was absolute truth, which is always an interesting esoteric conversation. But as a side note, I, I got an email this week from a gentleman who I'd seen clinically 15 years ago, and he said, at the time I stopped coming to see you because I wasn't ready for the truth. But now I am ready for the truth. I'd like to come back and see you. It's been 15 years. His life is a bit of a train wreck. But had he listened to me, I don't know. But the truth that he's talking about is obviously different than the truth that John's talking about. John's truth is referring to spiritual matters. But before we get into content, let's talk about context of this book. Who wrote the letter and the other two letters, 1 John and 3 John, which we're going to be covering next week, and to whom was it written? Well, most believe it was written by the Apostle John, the writer of the Gospel of John, a few Bible scholars are going to argue that since the writer refers to himself as an elder, it refers to another person named John. But Peter was also an apostle, and he referred to himself in his books, book as an elder. And John was the oldest living apostle at the time this letter was written. He was probably around 100 years old or so. So referring to himself as an elder would have been more than appropriate. So we'll go with the authorship being the Apostle John. Now, it's also believed that these three letters, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, were written by the same author from Ephesus about the same time, but not to the same people. And so this letter says it's addressed to the elect lady or the chosen lady. And the original Greek word for chosen means best in its class, or it's a title of respect or honor. 
And some believe that it was the female gender was used as a personification for a church and not a woman. But John also uses the reference in the letter of her children. And he speaks of wanting to come see her face to face. And there's some significant linguistic evidence for us to go with a literal translation of of a very special woman that John thought highly of, he knew well, he loved dearly. So as one author said, I'm not going to go to prison for this, but we're going to believe it was an actual woman. So John was the author, the apostle, and this woman was the one he was writing to. Now, we don't know very much about this woman, so we're just taking this little capsule, this little letter he wrote her, personal letter, and we're saying, what is God saying in that? And she was probably a, a woman of, of class, of, of distinction, of, of, of wealth, of nobility, and she was a Christian, and since her husband's not mentioned, it's assumed uh, she was a widow. So John states his love or respect both for her and for her children, and he mentions the fact that other Christ followers loved her and her kids as well. So she was a very special lady. So in the first four verses, let's read them together. John commends her in verses 1 through 4. The elder, John, to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in the truth, and not only I, but also all who know the truth, because of the truth which abides in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ the Father's Son, in truth and in love. I rejoice greatly to find some of your children following the truth, just as we have been commanded by the Father. Little side note, it's interesting, he found some of her children following the truth. The implication, possibly some weren't following the truth. Makes us as parents not feel so bad when some of our kids go right and some of our kids go left. But the two themes of the letter are mentioned several times right away, truth and love. Now, the original Greek word for love here was agapao, or agape, which we know to mean to welcome, to be fond of, or to love dearly. And then the Greek word for truth, aletheia, which means what is true in any matter under consideration. And the matter under consideration in this letter was the doctrine and the commandments of God. And the reality of false teachers denying Jesus was the Son of God. So in verse 3, he clearly states that Jesus Christ was the Father's Son. Certainly foundational to any of us who are Christ followers. And then before that, he gives his apostolic blessing of grace, mercy, and peace. And the words in that blessing will preserve the truth and love in this elect lady and in her children, and certainly in our lives as well. If we understand, if we truly understand the great grace we receive on a regular basis, if we know the mercy that was given to us as a result of the cross, And if we experience the peace that comes from a relationship with God, then we can better understand the truth of God and we're better able to show love. And then in verse 5 and 6, he commands her. Verse 5 and 6, And now I beg you, lady, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but the one we've had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we follow his commandments. 
This is the commandment, as you have heard from the beginning, that you follow love. So the command is to love one another. And that theme is repeated often in the Bible. Because God is love, and when we love others, we're most like him. And from God's perspective, life without love is worthless. Paul says that in the first letter to the church in Corinth, chapter 13. No matter what else I do, it's worthless without love. It's interesting also to read in James 2 that we cannot love God who we have not seen if we don't first love the brethren who we have seen. So here John says to to obey or follow God's command is the sign of love. This is love that we follow his commandments. We know that obedience is the highest form of worship. And John quotes Jesus in the Gospel of John as saying, If you love me, Jesus is saying, you will keep my commandments. He says there, and he says in our text we're reading here, to follow God's commandments. Other translations for our second John text use the word walk in his commandments. Walking was used to describe a person's lifestyle, a person's behavior. So to obey, to follow, to walk in the truth means to live in accordance with God's revelations and the standards it contains. See, in the Old Testament, it was a Levitical law. But in the New Testament, it meant far more than that. It was no longer a law. It was now based on love. Much like a a parent-child relationship. And I always like referring to those because I think there's so much uh, life in there to understand our relationship with Christ. But out of love for the parents, eventually, the child obeys their directives. As the child gets older and knows the parent better, they begin to know the heart behind the directives. Which is exactly what John is saying here. Out of love for our God, as we get to know the heart of God, we keep his directives. But in order to know the heart of God, we need to spend time with God and to know what love the Father has showed us through his Son. Again, the Gospel of John, kind of jumping back and forth between this letter we're reading and then John in the Gospel in 15. He quotes Jesus when he says, If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. So following God's commandments results in a life within the Father's love. Which is one of those sort of contemplative thoughts. Do I want to live within the love of my God? Do I follow his commandments? Or do I find myself kind of doing what I want to do, when I want to do it, when it's convenient for me? One commentator said this, By keeping God's commands, we may expect the fresh discoveries of the love of God. I like that. And as we keep God's commands and his commandments, they keep us. The commandments keep us. Think of it like landing lights for a plane. The pilot follows or obeys the landing lights for a safe landing. See, it's in the pilot's best interest to stay within those navigational beacons 
And in doing so, he or she will protect, will be protected from danger, literally from driving off the runway. And so they stay within those lights, within those markers, within those beacons, and they're kept by them. And so when we keep God's commands, it's also keeping us. So it's a safeguard, it's a promise, it's a command. And then next, John cautions her in verses 7 through 11. We'll read those verses 7. For many deceivers have gone out into the world, men who will not acknowledge the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. Look to yourselves that you may not lose what you have worked for, but may win a full reward. Anyone who goes ahead and does not abide in the doctrine of Christ does not have God. He who abides in the doctrine has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this doctrine, do not receive him into the house or give him any greeting. For he who greets him shares his wicked work. So the first seven, first verse there is a word of caution for why she must speak the truth in love. For many deceivers have gone out into the world, men who will not acknowledge the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. See, there were some who claimed to be Christians, and they professed to believe in Jesus, but they wouldn't acknowledge Jesus was really incarnate or God in human form. False teachers. And those folks were not the Jews at that time that denied that Jesus was the Messiah. The deceivers were more subtly deceptive. They seemed to be speaking the truth, but if you really listened, they really weren't, which might sound familiar of today. We have to be very discerning to know false teachers from God's truth. We've become a very PC, very politically correct society. The need for inclusion and acceptance of all beliefs is pervasive. And you know the phrase of love the sinner, not the sin? We need to be careful to love others without being drawn into false theology. And John warns a lady and her children not even to show hospitality to those who are trying to spread false teaching. That might mean like giving them lodging or a meal or supporting them financially, something along that line. Well, that seems fairly harsh considering John himself spoke of, that Jesus himself spoke of being a friend of sinners. But it seems like the text might be separating a sinner from a deceiver. One who has the intent of deceiving. So John is saying to her, her children, the lady and her children, to know the truth and don't involve yourselves with those who have another agenda with their own brand of truth. Because in doing so, in supporting someone else who has another agenda, their own brand of truth, you're actually, you're actually um, partakers or you're working with them. Which is an interesting thought because next week we're going to talk about Third John where it talks about supporting those who are sharing the gospel and working with them. And so they're supporting them in a different way, in a positive way. We'll cover that next, year, next week. So John also warns in our text today that they will stand the risk of losing some of their reward by following the false teachers. So they're not going to lose their salvation. Just the reward that they had worked for 
That's why it said in verse 8, Look to yourselves that you may not lose what you have worked for, but may win a full reward. Paul also talks about this in 1 Corinthians 3. He talks about laying a good foundation, which is Jesus Christ, and then building on that foundation. And at the judgment seat, each man's individual's work will be revealed. And then in 1 Corinthians 3.14, if the work which, they, which any man has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. So John speaks of the need here to make sure that you are abiding in Christ to secure this reward. And I spoke several weeks back on the need and value of abiding in Christ, to continue to be present, to remain as one, just to really have that intimacy with Christ. I had an interesting conversation with a patient this week when I was asking him in my usual protocol about what role does spirituality play in your life into sort of a initial conversation into that direction. And he proudly told me that he had read the Bible two times in his 68 years of living. And on one hand, that's admirable. I commend you for reading the Bible twice in 68 years. But as we talked more, it was quite evident that it was not really abiding in Christ, but it was more checking the box. Because there was really no fruit in his life, no spiritual fruit that implied that he had a personal relationship with Christ. But he was kind of proud of the fact that he'd done this thing. And I think what John is saying is it's more than just doing this thing. John tells the woman and her children to abide in the truth of Christ. And I love that word before. I love that word now. Just the thought of staying there, being present with God. To have a dynamic relationship with Jesus that is characterized by abiding and obedience. That takes effort and that takes intentionality. Finally, after commending, commanding, cautioning, a little alliteration going on here, John comforts them in verse 12 and 13. Though I have much to write to you, I'd rather not use paper and ink, but I hope to come and see you and talk with you face to face so that our joy may be complete. The children of your elect sister greet you. He's saying, I have more to say, but it can wait until we see each other and experience the joy of that fellowship. So John is stressing the need for truth, love, and obedience. And living a life that follows Christ requires intentionality. Knowing what you believe and focusing on the author of your faith, Jesus Christ and following his directives. Let me close with a verse out of Ephesians 4. I don't have it on the overhead. That's dating myself, isn't it? I don't have it on PowerPoint. That word rolls off my lips. Back in my day, I won't go there. Ephesians 4 says this. Don't be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the cunning of men by their craftiness and deceitful wiles. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. The context of that chapter, he's talking about spiritual gifts and spiritual maturity, and he says, you know what? As you grow in your gifting, as you use the gifts that God has given you, as you walk in the Spirit, 
Don't be tossed around like a, like a child, like somebody who's helpless by every wind of doctrine or opinion or different individuals who might have a different way of doing things, whether it's crafty or deceitful. But you know what? Speak the truth in love. Lovingly speak the truth of your maturity, out of your maturity, out of your gifting. When you see something that isn't right, speak the truth. Follow the truth. Lovingly speak against those that might have their own agenda, might have their own path they're traveling on, encouraging you to walk in that path with them. He says, you know what? Just speak the truth in love and grow up. (laughs) I love that. Grow up into Christ. And so when you see things that aren't quite right, Speak the truth. As you mature in the faith, speak the truth. As you grow in Christ, speak the truth. And don't get tossed around by different opinions. Which means you have to have your own sense of what is right and what is Christ saying. Clearly not everything is in black and white. I don't mean to imply that even slightly. You know me well enough to know that. But there is a sense of what's right, what's wrong, what's healthy, what's not healthy, and what's biblical, what's not biblical. And so it's knowing what does the Bible say. Grow up and to mature into Christ. Certainly one way to focus on the truth and on the author of our faith and to grow in faith is to remember what Christ did for us on the cross. And we have the great opportunity of doing that every week here. And we've tried moving that to the end of service to make it really more of the part of worship. And so as the worship team comes forward, We're going to spend some time in worship through song, and we're also going to invite you to come down to the front and just grab a piece of bread later on, or now, and dip it in the wine and take it. And if if you have kids, kids will be coming back a little bit later, so you can kind of wait till the kids come, come up as a family if you want. But just to sort of sense the Spirit moving you and to really understand the importance of what is Christ doing now and what has he done on the cross for our sins. And what does my life mean as a result of the cross? That grace, that mercy, that peace. So sometime during the next three songs, you can come up and share communion. Let's pray before we go. Father God, thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you for the clarity, even of this small letter, how John can speak to us in the context of which it was written to understand truth to know love, and to obey your commandments as a way of showing love. God, allow our lives to bring praise to you. Allow our obedience to worship you. And this morning as we take communion, God, we thank you for the life that was sacrificed to pay the price for my sins. God, allow us to have a continual abiding in you. In Christ's name.